0: Hey, this is Mark. And this is Jay. We just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of Nerdcage
1: Live. And be sure to tune in to our live show on YouTube every Thursday night, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time.
0: We have it in us to be the better men. We already are. We're the next stage of human evolution. You said it yourself. Yourself. Are you really so naive as to think that they won't battle their own extinction? Or is it arrogance? I'm sorry? After tomorrow, they're gonna to turn on us, but you're blind, Ted. Listen to me very carefully, my friend. Killing Shaw will not bring you peace. Peace was never an option.
1: If what you said is true, Mark Withers and the Nerd Cage could be dangerous. Hello and welcome. That's right, you're trapped in Nerd Cage Live. This ain't just a reaction show, but a debate show and a live discussion on everything that makes people like you and I tick. So thank you for joining us tonight. Please hit that like button and subscribe. I'm your co-host Jay Saint-G coming to you live from Syracuse, New York, and always with me, the warrior from Wakanda, the fiend from Louisville, my man, Mark Withers, what's going on?
0: Hey man, what's happening? Super excited to be here as usual and yes. Today, we are gonna be talking about one of the most important comic book movies of the early 2010s. It literally revitalized the X-Men franchise and it introduced us to two great actors, James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender. Of course, I am talking about X-Men First Class. Now, Jay, you and I have both rewatched this over the weekend. I own this movie and I've watched it multiple times, but I wanted to ask you, Ten years have gone by since it was first released. What do you think about this movie today?
1: Well, before I get to that, I want to talk about when the movie first came out and what was going on. The MCU was still kind of at its early stages because at the time we only had the first two Iron Mans, the Hulk and Thor. Captain America and the Avengers haven't come out yet. The Dark Knight had come out a few years back and the Dark Knight Rises hasn't come out yet. And there was no DCEU to speak of just yet. At this point in my life, I was already done with X-Men. X-Men 3 and X-Men Origins Wolverine. Enough was enough. Those movies were bad. And when I saw the trailer for this movie, I dismissed it. And then I go into work on Monday. My fellow coworkers are like, yo, this new X-Men movie is really good. It's like Dark (laughs) Knight good. You need to go see this. I'm like, okay. So I wound up seeing it in the middle of an afternoon on a Tuesday in an empty movie theater. And my God, my mind was blown.
0: Yeah, I mean, I actually was excited to see it. And I just thought it was a very interesting and new take on the series. Now, of course, since we are talking about a movie about the X-Men origin, I like to start off by talking about the origin of this movie and how it came to be. Yeah. So around the time of X2, one of the producers, Laura Schuler Donner, started kicking around the idea of doing sort of a side film, like a spinoff, that had to do with the younger X-Men characters from that timeline. So we're talking about Pyro, Iceman, Shadowcat, some of the other characters. That idea sort of evolved into doing an adaptation of a comic book series. X Men First Class. Around that same time, they were also putting into development an origin story for Magneto. This film was actually pretty heavily into production. They had asked Ian McKellen to sort of do some narration for it. They had written a script, and that script had sort of gone through various iterations. But what kept it from actually coming to light was the writer strike that happened in 2007. So, a couple of years after that, the idea of doing this sort of first class story came back to light. And by that time, Brian Singer was involved. And then instead of setting it in the early 50s, they decided to use the early 60s as a timeline and sort of allow for inspiration from like the early James Bond films and things like that. And then that concept became what we came to know as X-Men first class film.
1: And that's the beauty of it, because not only that this movie is a prequel, to the X-Men movies. One thing I don't think people talk about enough is that this is a revenge movie. There's that revenge storyline that's prominent in this movie and it just keeps you so engaged. And like you just said earlier, this movie introduced us to James McAvoy, Michael Fassbender, and of course, Jennifer Lawrence, who basically blew up the moment this movie came out. So it's just amazing that like looking back, all these actors and actresses were relatively I would say unknown but they weren't super big and they just all blew up thanks to this movie
0: yeah and it's interesting because you know you mentioned jennifer lawrence she actually came into the project after completing a film called winter's bone which by the way if you have not seen that hit pause right now and go and find that movie and watch it it's easily one of jennifer lawrence's best performances but because that movie was so dark and so heavy she wanted her next project to be something that would be fun and sort of have a lot of high energy and so when she was presented with the idea of doing a comic book movie she jumped at the chance
1: mark tell me some of your favorite parts of this movie and what makes this movie great to you
0: so i really love the entire idea of it being sort of an origin story set in the 60s the whole spy motif where they involve the CIA and they make these good mutants sort of a faction of the CIA. I thought that that was a nice way to sort of introduce a mutant team. I really liked the chemistry between Michael Fassbender and James McAvoy and their approach to it. In some interviews, James McAvoy kind of explained that the concept that the two of them came up with together was that one of them was MLK and the other one was Malcolm X and what if they had met before the events of the civil rights movement and become friends before that and so they use that as the premise to create this budding friendship that turns into like a dynamic tension i really love the energy around that idea and then of course the Hugh Jackman cameo where they oh, go and try and recruit cool, him and cool. he's like, go F yourself. I just <laughs> I just thought that was great. <laughs> what about you? What are some of your favorite moments?
1: Well, before I get to some of my favorite moments, I just want to point out that McAvoy and Fastbetter went into this movie with huge shoes to fill from Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen. The fact that they're able to keep up with those two is mind blowing. But the one thing I really loved, and I was thinking about this more and more as I'm watching this film, Patrick Stewart's version of Xavier was almost like a Jesus Christ-like figure this version of Xavier is more flawed. Yes. And he's, you know, using his telepathic abilities to take advantage of women. I like the fact that before he was this Christ-like figure, he was a flawed character. And at the end, you could almost make the argument that Magneto was right. And Xavier was the one that was wrong, even though Xavier's heart was at the right place, but you can make the argument that he was wrong. There was so much to appreciate there. As far as my favorite parts in the movie, okay. The part that gets me every time I watch the movie, I know we're going into spoiler territory, but the movie's 10 years old. When Magneto confronts Sebastian Shaw, played beautifully by Kevin Bacon. Not just the coin going through the head, but the little speech he gives saying, I agree with everything you just said, but unfortunately, you killed killed my my mother. (laughs) Oh my God, it's so great. You could see just looking at his eyes what was going through his head. The metaphor there it was like a passing of the torch from one monster to the next where magneto not only becomes the new monster of the mutant community the x-men universe but he's now the new alpha so much happened in that scene probably one of the best confrontations in any comic book movie
0: yeah i agree everybody involved in that scene was fantastic i mean you mentioned kevin bacon who brilliantly played Sebastian Shaw in this role, Michael Fassbender, but also James McAvoy in that role as Professor X. In that particular scene, he's meant to be feeling everything that Shaw is feeling because he's in his mind. And as yeah. the coin actually goes through Shaw's head, he's actually feeling that and he's conveying that on screen brilliantly. You know, now that you mention that, that's easily my favorite part of the movie as well.
1: Yes, but for every look back we do, we find nitpicks and I want to address them because they're almost kind of funny. And there's some that I think play a greater role in the whole entire X-Men saga. So I'll start with the small nitpicks that I have in the movie and I want to hear yours too. And they're both right at the beginning of the movie. The CIA agent there, she goes into the Hellfire Club. And she sees, you know, obviously see the woman going in there, you know, the entertainment. So she, right. this guy's going her her lingerie. Don't get me wrong. You know, when I saw this 10 years ago, my 24 year old self was like, yes. And then my 34 year old self was like, yes, wait a minute. So like, she's wearing all that lingerie at the workplace, like already. That's all. That's my only thing is like, right. she's already wearing that. Like, does she know <laughs> that the club was going to do that? And she right. like, prepared herself by wearing that. And I don't think any <laughs> woman would go into the workplace prepared like that just right. saying and along with that payback, and onto that same scene emma frost's character which again january jones was awesome by the way she owned that role but the fact that in that same scene where she's looking through the crack in the wall there seeing what was going on with sebastian shaw there emma frost is a telepath how does she not know that there's someone else in the room watching
0: i thought about that movie. too
1: i know multiple times people have told me that the x-men movies as a whole have a lot of continuity issues and this is ones i have to mention in the first x-men movie patrick stewart says when i was 17 i met a young man named eric Lenscher. Yes. 17 they're not 17 in this movie right in the same x-men movie in the first one of patrick stewart there he says logan welcome to cerebro i've been yep. trying to find Magneto, but i can't find him well how would Magneto know how to block your telepathy and he says because he helped me build it Yes. In this movie, we get a different Cerebro and McNeil did not build it. It was built by Beast. Right. That's all.
0: So, yeah, so of course, the X-Men films have been notorious for their continuity problems. Everything that you mentioned, I agree with 100%, particularly that Cerebro issue. That was one that stood out to me immediately. But in addition to that, I just thought that the timelines and the characters' ages didn't really match up 100%, and that has bothered me throughout the course of the subsequent films, particularly with Alex Summers' Havoc. So Mm in the 60s, we're made to believe that he's in his late teens. So his brother, Scott, is a teenager in the mid-80s. It doesn't really make sense that he would be 16 in 1962 and then relatively young still by 1984. Like I've always had a problem with that.
1: Completely impossible because I know people in my life who have siblings 20 plus years older than them. Right. It's not impossible. The thing I'm surprised you didn't allude to is in the comics, Alex Summers, wasn't he the younger brother of Scott?
0: I'm not entirely sure, but it never, it almost never bothers me as far as like what the comics do versus film. I just want, like, if you have a film series for certain things within that film series to actually be considered. So in the first batch of movies, you know, those take place in the early 2000s and you have characters that are a certain age and then you go back to the 60s and they're a different age, and then those ages don't really line up. I just kind of felt like that was extremely problematic, and I haven't really been able to sort of rationalize that over the years.
1: Yeah, and not to mention, not that you mentioned that, if we want to dig a little deeper, going back to the Cerebro scene, you do see Storm, Sky, and a few others, and they're really young, so right. as you just pointed out, that it doesn't necessarily line up with the ages that we were first introduced.
0: Right. Now, Matthew Vaughn has said in subsequent interviews that he looked at First Class as an opportunity to sort of reboot the franchise altogether. Mm -hmm. And I think that at the time that they were sort of writing the treatment for this story, they really didn't think about blending those two versions of the X-Men stories. It probably wasn't until Days of Future Past that we actually saw that, okay, these characters are actually the same characters from the same universe, but the timeline is slightly alternate. So, I mean, in their defense, I think that the idea was to tell a completely different story.
1: Yeah, and since you just mentioned the name, Matt Vaughn. Awesome direction with this movie. I mean the thing that's beauty about this movie is it doesn't have the stench of brian singer and one of the things i like what matthew vaughn approached was the fact that they use subtitles and a lot of the uh, scenes involving germans and russians that gave this movie a much needed authenticity. And yeah. I'm not a history buff, but I paid attention in history class. The whole Cuban Missile Crisis thing lines up with what was going on. I thought it was done beautifully.
0: I agree. And, you know, Matthew Vaughn was brought into this project off the strength of the movie Kick Ass. Simon Kinberg, one of the producers, was a very big fan of that film. Brian Singer was originally attached to direct this. But because he was committed to other projects at the time, he stepped away from directing. Kinberg used that as an opportunity to sort of reach out to Vaughn and see if he would be interested in this. And I really love that Vaughn really took that opportunity to sort of give us that like super cool like spy version of the 1960s as opposed to sort of making it like a contemporary film or try to make it fit in with the other X-Men films that had come out before that.
1: And I guess this is a good opportunity to talk about the movies that follow. I mean, we could spend all day talking about all the X-Men movies. In fact, in our previous X-Men lookback, which was our first look back that we ever did of the first X-Men movie, the 20th anniversary, we did kind of like gloss on the sequels and whatnot. But I feel like it's important we talk about the sequels that immediately followed this movie, meaning the ones that involve Fastbender, McAvoy, Lawrence. Right. When this movie came out, this was like my favorite X-Men movie. Only for this movie to be bested by its following movie, X-Men Days of Future Past, especially the Rogue cut. But after that, it was downhill from there. And the sad thing is, you could tell that they were kind of phoning in after that, especially like Jennifer Lawrence, who already like blew up. I think they just kind of like want to finish out their contracts. And that's just a damn shame.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, you definitely get that vibe after Days of Future Past. You could tell that certain actors... We're kind of tired of playing these roles. And also just the writing became a bit stale, a bit more predictable. For all intents and purposes, the X-Men universe had sort of run its course at that point. I mean, it had run its course, I think, earlier with The Last Stand, but then you know, having Matthew Vaughn direct this film sort of breathe new life into it for another few films. And I think by the time we get to Dark Phoenix, everybody was sort of ready to move on from it, including the yeah. audience.
1: Outside Days of Future Past, at least to kind of make up for the crap movies that followed, we did get Logan.
0: Yeah, easily one of the best comic book movies ever made. I can't wait until we're doing the 10th anniversary of that. I got a whole lot to say about that movie. (laughs) But yeah, at least one thing that we can say is great about this X-Men universe is it gave us Hugh Jackman and it gave us that fantastic movie.
1: Yeah, so to close it out, so much good came from X-Men First Class, not just from like a comic book and a pop culture perspective, but again, the careers that it launched and what we got after that.
0: I agree with that. I mean, you got some fantastic performances, not only from those main characters that you mentioned, but also, you know, guys like Lucas Till and Eddie Gathegi, Caleb Landry-Jones, who played Banshee. This movie kind of introduced us to a whole generation of great actors that we're still enjoying their performances now. And I just think that everything from the casting to the direction to even the music from Henry Jackman in that film was oh, just yes. was absolutely fantastic.
1: Yeah, that Magneto score is just so dope.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so before we go, we pretty please ask you to like, comment, subscribe, ring that bell and spread that shit like so for USA from Louisville to Syracuse and all of our Friends and fans around the world at Nerd Cage Live. Enjoy life, stay safe, and good night.
0: Sayonara. Ooh, trying to get out of the nerd cage, are ya? Well, before you go, hit that subscribe button, and if you're really intrigued, ring that bell. Thank you for dropping by. Until next time, tell everyone you know about Nerd Cage Live! <laughs> <laughs>